Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Well, we only have a few minutes remaining, so we're not going to spend much time. Uh, We want to spend more time talking about moms today, but we do want to continue through our series that we're in the midst of. We're in the second week of a five-week series called Does Conduct Count? And, And if you're newer with us, you might think, well, what do you mean, does conduct count? Of course it counts. I mean, this is Christianity, for crying out loud. Of course it counts. Well, uh, you know, b- b- let's, just, let's just really examine, you know, what the gospel is. There's two verses in Ephesians that we, we pointed out last week, and we're going to talk a- about them much more detail today. But uh, these two verses is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, two of the most famous verses in all the Scripture about the gospel in a nutshell. And it says this. It should be on the screen. It says, for by grace you have been saved. Okay, so our salvation. That's everything we have from the Lord. All right, our justification, our sanctification, our, our righteousness, our holiness. All of it is by grace through faith that we've been saved. And that not of yourselves. It, your salvation, is a gift from God and is not a result of your works, least any man, so that no man may boast. And so, you know, this thing of salvation, this thing of life in Christ, this thing of our union with the God of the universe, according to the Apostle Paul, it is all by grace, and it has nothing to do with our works, nothing to do with our conduct. And so doesn't that to you raise the question, well, if that's the case, then does it even matter how we live? Does it matter how we live in this world if our life in this world has no bearing on our salvation, has no bearing on what we have with Christ? I shared last week, and I don't have time to, re- go, you know, to review all of last week, but it, go back through the podcast if you weren't here last week. But I talked about last week how you know, I thought that you know, the size of my mansion in heaven was dependent upon you know, what I did and didn't do here on earth. And so it's a very works-based, you know, reward system. I used to think that my level of holiness or my level of sanctification was tied to how well I behaved and how well I didn't behave. And then I did a crazy thing, Craig. I just started reading the Scriptures. And the Scriptures actually ta- teach that we have been sanctified, past tense, that we have been made holy by one sacrifice once and for all, the work of Jesus. And so it's like, man... My reward isn't based on my work. My sanctification is not based on my work. Man, then why does it matter how we even live? And I think if we're not asking that question, if that question doesn't sort of come to the forefront of our mind, then we might not re- really be preaching and proclaiming the same gospel that the apostles taught. Do you know what the answer, one of the questions that Paul had to deal with? What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? May it never be. 
He was asked often, it sounds like, well, Paul, if this is all by grace, then does it even matter how we live? And Paul is over and over explaining what this is all about. So we're just taking five weeks, having finished Galatians, which has taught us that it's not by law, it's not by works, it's not by you know, religious you know, uh, commitment, it's all by the work of Christ. So we're taking some time to just really examine what, why does or does conduct even matter? Does it matter how we live? Does it matter what we do? And so last week we, we talked about how God does not just, and I emphasize just, God does not just forgive sinners. You see, we have been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. We have been forgiven. But God's not dumb enough to just forgive a sinner. He actually takes the sinner and he plunges him into death. I have been crucified with Christ so that a whole new life can be raised and that new life created in the very image of God and true holiness and true righteousness, Ephesians 4.24. And so the whole idea is that we looked at last week, God's not dumb enough just to forgive a sinner. God actually creates us new with a new heart. In fact, that's what Ezekiel 36 said. We looked at this last week, so we're not going to look at it long today. But Ezekiel 36 says that I, this, again, this is, this is six, 700 years before Christ even walked the, the earth. God is promising that the day was going to come, and it did come with Christ. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. He's talking about the blood of Christ, and you will be clean. Okay, so God is saying you will be forgiven. You will, you sinners will be forgiven of all your sins. I will cleanse you from how much filthiness? All your filthiness. What about filthiness I hadn't yet done yet? Well, is it all filthiness? Yeah. So you are forgiven of all your filthiness, from all your idols. But he doesn't stop there. He's not dumb. He doesn't just forgive a sinner. The next verse says, moreover, or in addition to that, I will actually give you a new heart. This is talking about desires, what you'll want to do. I'm going to give you something you don't have, and that's righteous and holy desires. Not just desires, but I'm going to give you a new identity, a new origin. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. No longer are you going to be from Adam, but you're now from above. Paul says that Jerusalem above is our mother. I will put a new spirit in you. I'll cut out the heart of stone, you know, your desires that are just wicked and dead and coarse. I'm going to cut that out, and I'm going to give you a heart that's alive, a heart of flesh. And to top it all off, verse 27, we looked at this last week, I will put my spirit. You've got a new heart. You've got new desires. You've got a new origin, a new life, but I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. So God has promised is that a day is going to come when you are actually going to be made so new that you actually desire only what he desires, and we walk in his ways. Now, if you look at your life, look at my life, you say, well, wait a second. There's definitely things that are not of God that come out of these bodies. Well, yeah, sure, because there's a foreign parasite called what? Sin that lives in these, in these members, and, but that's not who you are. You our new heart. You are a new spirit. So does conduct count? Well, I say it counts a whole lot. It counts so much so that he gave us brand new desires to act and behave and live from the very desires of God himself. And so today we're going to take this a little bit further, take it a little bit further and see what God has, um, how he's rigged this, how he's designed this whole thing to actually work. 
you know, my wife, it's Mother's Day, my wife has a, um, a, a keen ability to um, look at one of our kids, know, you know, when, when something that's coming out of our kids that's not our kids, my wife has the ability to, to rush in and love that kid um, as if nothing was going on that was kind of gross and kind of nasty. And I don't want to be gross in this. But this week we had, you know, the good old stomach bug that kind of came through the house. You've all been there. We've all been there, right? Well, on Wednesday night, you know, Gwen comes running in in the middle of the night, and she's screaming, you know, and April wakes up, and I'm just kind of like, you know, what's going on here? And all of a sudden I'm really awoken. You know how you wake up, Matt, but you're not really awake, you know? I wake up to this sound of, sounds like rushing water all over my, you know, carpet, you know? Um, so April springs into action. You know, she sees this nastiness. She, she's, she's experiencing it. She springs into action. She grabs her up, and she starts running to the bathroom. Well, time out real quick in the story. The bathroom. Um, it's not huge, and the door in the bathroom swings Jamie into the bathroom, which makes even the bathroom even smaller. So April has been saying over and over, you know, I just wish that we could sw- r- swap that around to where the door swung into the bathroom. Uh, bedroom. And I hadn't done it. You know, we lived there for two years. You know, I hadn't done it. And so Wednesday, while April was at work, I decided to surprise her, David. I'm going to swap the door around so that it no longer swings. You see where this is going, don't you, Jamie? It doesn't swing in. It swings into the bathroom. It swings into the bedroom. So my wife, in the middle of the night with a puking child in her arms, runs to the door and bam! Runs straight into the door that did not open into the bathroom as it had for the last two years. If it wasn't so disgusting, I would have really enjoyed it with laughter. Um, but she has the ability to identify, you know, this, this virus that's in you, that's manifesting itself. It's not you. You are my child. So I'm willing to put up with this junk because it is not you. And, you know, I think that's exactly what the Lord has done on a much better and much grander scale. If you are a born-again believer, God knows who you truly are. He knows your true nature because it's his nature. We become partaker of the divine nature. And he knows that there's a parasite called sin that actually lives in our flesh like we've talked about. And he knows the difference between when your new life which is his life, is being manifested, and when this thing of sin is being manifested. And so today, like I said, we're going to take this a step further and see what is it, how is it that God has rigged this whole thing for his life, the life of Christ, the spirit of Christ, to be manifested through us. And we're actually going to go to the very next chapter of Ezekiel, over into Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bible notes, it'll be there. Jesus was walking, um, you know, after his resurrection up to Emmaus, and he told two of his disciples that everything in the Scripture, everything in the Old Testament, everything that Moses wrote, everything that the prophets wrote, it's actually about him. So I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If we read the Old Testament and we don't ask the question, what is this revealing about Jesus, then we're actually going to miss what the Old Testament is actually all about. And so, We've, we're probably very familiar with this passage if you've grown up, you know, doing this church thing for a while. It's called the Valley of Dry Bones. Anybody heard of that? The Valley of Dry Bones. Anybody heard of this? Well, there's some head shaking, and then some people are like, we're, we're going to talk about what? <laughs> well, just stay with us. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. 
So Ezekiel is a prophet, and Jesus says that everything the prophets wrote was actually about Jesus. And so this is what the, the prophet writes, six, seven hundred years before Jesus even walked the earth. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by, by, brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down. Sorry, I just stepped on your thing there. Um, it set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of what? Bones. You know, if I have a vision from the Lord, I hope it's not one where he takes me out and puts me in a valley with nothing but bones around. Right, Graham? I mean, come on, you know, he got the short end of that vision, you know, uh, straw. He caused me to pass among them round about. So cool. So vivid. I love that. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. So there's this, I don't know, innumerable, innumerable amount of bones just covering the floor of this valley. And lo, they were very dry. So they weren't just bones. I mean, that's enough, right? Boneyard. But they're dry bones. I mean, the next step for these things, I guess, is like dust or something. They are dead, lifeless, dry bones. Verse 3, and he said to me, God called Ezekiel, son of man. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's answer. He says, Lord, you know. (laughs) I love that. You know, if you read through Ezekiel, the Lord gives Ezekiel a lot of these similar visions, and Ezekiel seems to get a lot of the questions the Lord asks wrong. And I think by this point, 37 chapters into it, he's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, whatever you say, whatever you say, Lord, you know. Verse 4, and he said to me, prophesy over these bones, speak over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's make sure that we don't just fly through this. Let's make sure we get a context here. Ezekiel, in a dream, in a vision, he's, a, he's hovering over this huge valley of innumerable dry bones, and God tells him to talk to bones. Does that sound weird? Talk to bones. Can something that's dead hear? Think about that. Can something that is dead hear? Well, the only answer I have is when it's God who's doing the talking, yeah, they can hear. Remember, this is the same God that spoke everything into existence in six days. Romans says that God is the one who calls into being that which does not exist. And so if God can call into being that which does not exist, then he could take something that's dead and speak to it. Remember Jesus, John, I think, what is it, John 11, John 12? Lazarus, what? Come forth. Was Lazarus taking a nap? Was he, you know, checking his scores on his iPhone? He was dead. He had been dead for four days. He stunk. So can the dead hear? Well, apparently when God's the one talking to him, absolutely. Dead things can hear. And so what happened when the word of the Lord came to these dead bones? Verse 5 says, thus says the Lord to these bones, behold. Now look at this. I've got these in red. I will we got some major promises from the Lord. I will put sinews on you. Now, what's sinews? That, that's talking about joints and ligaments. I, uh, ligaments, what's the other thing? Um, tendons. I will put sinews on you. I will make flesh grow back on you. That's muscle. I will cover you with skin. I will put breath into you that you may come alive. So that's some pretty amazing promises. 
He's promising a whole recreation of something. Now, what's the you will? Here's the you will. You will know that I am the Lord. So I'm going to do all this, and what are you going to do, you bones? You're going to know that I am the Lord. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. I hear Ezekiel saying, look, this is crazy. I just did what he told me to do. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. Something was happening. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews, that is the ligaments, the joints, they, they were on them in flesh, muscle. They grew, and skin then covered them, but there was no breath in them. So God created, he recreated these things that were dead, he recreated them, but they were not alive yet because there was no breath in them. Breath equals life. I know some of you are, you know, paramedics and whatnot, and one of the first things that you do as a paramedic is you check, is there any signs, find a sign of life is, are they breathing? Because if there's no breath, then there's probably no life. Breath equals life. Remember back to Genesis on day six of creation? God took the dirt, he formed it, and what did he do? He breathed life in the nostrils of Adam, of, of the clay, to create life. Now, is Ezekiel recounting day six of Genesis? No. Ezekiel is thousands and thousands of years later than Genesis. He's talking about something brand new here. He's talking about something that hasn't been created before. God is doing a new thing. What does the prophet Jeremiah say? No, Isaiah says, he says, do not consider the things of old, for behold, I do something new. So he's talking about something new here. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. All right, you've been prophesying to the bones. Now let's get some life in here. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. Breath equals life. So I prophesied as he commanded. I love it. I just did what he said. It sounds crazy. And the breath came into them, and they came to life. They were dead, but now they're alive. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now, what in the world is this all about? Again, think of Jesus. He says the prophets wrote about who? him, Jesus. The prophets wrote about Jesus. Ezekiel is writing about Jesus, okay? Verse 11, God explains it some. Now, he doesn't explain it fully because this is still mystery. It's still hidden, but look at the explanation. Then God said to me, son of man, Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Israel says, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Cut off from who? Cut off from God. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord. And here it is. Look at these promises. I will open the grave. I will cause you to come out of the grave, my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. So what's your part, Israel? Verse 13 you will know. So look at all the things that God is promising he's going to do. And what's the part that the people are to do? You will know that I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord God. When I have opened up your graves and caused you to come out of the graves, my people, I will put, there it is, 
my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you in your own land. And here it is a third time. So what's your part, people? You will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So apparently this breath that he was talking about earlier is the very breath of the Spirit of God, this very Spirit of God. And and the Spirit of God coming into these bones creates this life. Now, to understand what in the world Ezekiel is talking about, I think we have to understand what's Israel. Who is Israel? Because isn't Israel just some sort of, you know, group that came from this man named Jacob who became Israel and all his physical descendants? Well, that certainly is the physical lineage of Jacob, of Israel. Have you ever considered why in the world Paul was beat up as much as Paul was beat up? I have a suggestion for you. Look at Romans chapter 2. I submit to you that this is one of the reasons why Paul was beat within inches of his life numerous times. Look at this. Imagine yourself as being a Jew who your whole lineage, your whole uh, identity, your whole heritage is built upon the fact that you are a descendant of a man named Jacob. And then read what Paul says. He is not a Jew who is one what? Outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Now look at this. But he is a Jew who is one what? Inwardly. We say it together. Is one what? Inwardly. Whoa. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. This isn't about the law. This isn't about who, 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 who begot who, who begot who, who begot who. This is about a whole spiritual reality. And his praise is not from men, but from God. You talk about an atomic bomb that Paul is dropping here on the nation of Israel. You ever wondered why Paul was beaten up so many times? In 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11 or 12, Paul recounts all the different beatings that he's had in his life. And I think this is one of the reasons. He's saying to the Jews, listen, just because you physically are the descendant of somebody, that does not mean that you are actually a Jew. A Jew is one who is actually one inwardly. Israel is not of the flesh. Israel is a matter of the heart. Remember Jacob. Jacob means what? Does anybody know what the word Jacob, the name Jacob means? This is actually not in the notes, so sorry. This is extra, no no, no charge for this. Anybody? Jacob means laughter. That's Isaac. That's right. It means deceiver. Deceiver. What was, what was Jacob, let's go back, I mean, this is like Genesis, right? What was Jacob doing to Esau's leg when he was born? Pulling it. And that's where we get the idiom, is that the right word phrase, for pulling someone's leg? Because Jacob was pulling, he was holding onto the leg of Esau. Years later, Jacob, whose name was Deceiver, remember he deceived his brother, he deceived his dad, he wrestled with the Lord, and God changed his name that day. Does anybody know what he changed Jacob's name into? Israel. Does anybody know what Israel means? Prevailer with God. So Jacob was what? Deceiver. And now, through an encounter with the Lord, he became prevailer with God. Listen, if we just look at the life of Jacob and say, hey, what a great guy, 
And we're going to miss what the life of Jacob is actually all about. It's a picture, a shadow of the fact that you born of Adam were Jacob. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is Jacob. Who can know it? Your heart was Jacob. But because of an encounter with the Lord, wrestling with his spirit, you have been born again, and your new spirit is Israel, prevailer with God. Now, we don't have time to get into the sons of, of, of Israel. The sons of Israel are the characteristics of you. Benjamin, son of my right hand. Asher, happy. I don't have time to get into all that. But, but if we look at the Old Testament, you say, oh, good history. No, this is about Jesus. This is about what he has done. And so Paul is dropping a bombshell on these who have put their hope in that they are physically descendants of a man named Jacob. Paul's saying, no, this is an issue of the heart. So when we look at these valley of dry bones, and God says this is Israel, and Paul says Israel isn't just the flesh, but it's actually the state of our heart, what can we say about that then? You are Israel if you have come to trust in Christ. You are the one who prevails now with God because of a new birth. You are the one who has gone through death, wrestling with God, being crucified with Christ, and have outcome no longer Jacob, but now Israel. And that means you and I, when we were still in Adam, we were the valley of dry bones. We were dead in the iniquity of our sins. You were hopeless. You were lost without any possible life. But then God created you new. And just as he breathed life into the first Adam, the very life of the last Adam, Jesus Christ himself, has been breathed into our new heart. And we now have life. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word. Let's go back to um, Ephesians 2. And we're going to just wrap up real quickly with looking at these first 10 verses of Ephesians 2. I think, I could be wrong. Please don't take my word for it. But I think that the Apostle Paul, at least the Holy Spirit, had Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones and the promise of life coming from death in mind when Paul penned Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this. And you, Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Now, who's you? Ephesians. Are Ephesians Gentiles or are they Jews? That's an easy one. Gentiles. They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. The Ephesians are not Jews. They're Gentiles. He's saying, you Gentiles were dead in the trespasses and your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You walked this way according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Man, you talk about a mouthful to say, man, things are just not looking up for you. You were dead. Now, verse 3, I love this. Paul, was Paul a Jew physically or a Gentile physically? the Apostle Paul, a Jew. Look at verse 3. Among them, the dead, we also. So who's the we here? The Jews. This isn't just you Gentiles. See, the Jew, the Jew thought that we, because we're Jews, we're good. We're okay. We're God's chosen people. But Paul's dropping some bombshells here saying, we Jews also, we too, 
formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, engaging the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we also were by nature, just like you, children of wrath, even as the rest. Who's the rest? The Gentiles. So Paul is saying, look, we are all in this valley together. Every single last one of us, whether you're Jew by birth or Gentile by birth, we are all laying in this valley of dry bones. Spiritually speaking, the Jew and the Gentile were both as dead as can be. Our nature that we, man, I keep doing that. Sorry. Our nature that we got from Adam is incompatible with God. Not because of anything we did, but our nature, our Adamic nature was hostile to God in every single way. Can you picture this valley, this valley of dry bones? I mean, they're not just bones. They're dry bones. No hope. Nothing. These next two verses, the first two verses of verse 4, I think are the greatest two verses of all the Scripture. But God. Let's go back to that valley. I mean, what could those bones do to make themselves okay with God? bones. They're dead. But God made a promise. I will put sinew. I will cause flesh to grow. I will put my spirit in you. I will, I will, I will. But God, we have now in the new covenant, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we were hopeless, even when we were in that valley, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, why in the world would God do this? Does anybody remember back when we were looking at Ezekiel 37, God said over and over, I will, I will, I will, I will. But three times he said the same thing. You will what? Know that I am the Lord. So why in the world would God do this? I mean, a valley. Like, it's not even like a plateau of dry bones. Like, he can't even get more vivid than a valley. It'd be kind of funny if he said, you know, the mountaintop of dry bones. I mean, that doesn't fit well. It's the valley of dry bones. I hope to offend nobody who lives or is from the valley, right? But, I mean, nowhere in the Scripture is that I know of, and maybe I'm wrong, but is there a picture, a good picture, a positive picture of something in a valley? There is this one called the Jesus is the lily of the valley. Wow, life in a valley. But David says, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, I don't know who each one of you, what, what, what issues you got going on in life. I know some of them because you share them. But I know that every single one of you, every single one, myself included, have some sort of valley. That we're facing. You know, it's Mother's Day. And sometimes this is the best week, sometimes it's the worst week. It just depends on your circumstance and your scenario. There's a valley of identity and of self-worth, of value. Two out of every three teenagers have seriously contemplated suicide. You talk about a valley of identity, financial struggles, family struggles, but consider what possibly could be a greater valley than the valley of dry bones where there is no hope for life, no hope for rescue, no hope for anything on your own. 
And if God is able to raise those who are in that valley, man, I think the other valleys, he can take us through. But what is God's promise? What does God do for those of us who are in this valley? And I want to emphasize valley. It's, it's low. It's desperate. It's, it's despair. Even when we were dead in our transgressions in this valley, he made us alive together with Christ. And what? Wow. Isn't that cool? He raised us. Raised us from what? From the valley. He raised us up and has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So you are no longer in this valley of dry bones, but you are now in the realm of glory with Christ himself, seated with Christ, one with Christ, loved by Christ, forgiven because of Christ, rescued through Christ, and sealed, secure in Christ. But why? I come back to that. Why would he do this? Verse 7. I don't know if I was ready for this when I saw this the first time. So that, you hear the purpose? I'm doing this so that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of his what? Grace and, and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He saves sinners to show off. I think that's cool, Jim. He's done what he's done to show off who he is. Remember back in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, he says, you will what? You will know who I really am. So who really is he? When a sinner is, who is dead in their transgressions, by nature a children of wrath, when that sinner is rescued from that valley of bones and now created a, a new and given an indestructible life, the very life of Christ, God is showing off. And I'm glad he does. I mean, I'm glad he shows off. You know, don't you think that God could have lit Elijah's bull without all that water stuff? I mean, he could have done it and showed that he was God, but no. They poured on water to do what, Jeff? Show off. This is who I really am. This is the true magnitude of my, of my power, of my glory. Remember Balaam, right? Balaam. Now we're going back. Balaam. God could have spoken to Balaam directly and told him his error? Oh, but no, no, Dudley. He talks through a what? A donkey. And a donkey speaks to Balaam to rebuke Balaam. Why? Because he's God, and he seeks to show off the power. Listen to what the gospel is saying. The gospel is saying that God takes that which is in the valley of dry bones and he raises it, gives it life, a brand new creation to show off something about himself so that we can know who he truly is. Well, what is he? He is surpassingly rich in the grace and kindness. He's not just rich in grace. That'd be enough, but he's surpassingly rich. He's exceedingly rich. This word for all the Greek, you know, nerds out there, it's hyperbolo, hyper, like, you know, the hyperactive kid, you know, his grace is hyper. It's above anything else. God has a hyper grace. It's hyper kindness. Is this how you see God? As exceedingly rich in his grace and his kindness? Because if not, man, throw away whatever it is you think God is. 
because this is the true picture of our God. I grew up with the understanding that, you know, in religion and religious, you know, circles that God, you know, he's good, he's great, he's loving, whatever, but, you know, you don't fly straight if you don't this, if you don't that. Listen, God takes sinners who are dead in the valley of dry bones, and he creates them new as saints, as alive, as raised up with Christ in the heavenly to reveal to you, to reveal to me, to reveal to the world who he really is. Who really is he? He is surpassingly rich, hyper-rich, exceedingly rich with grace and kindness. So whatever image you might have of God that doesn't fit the Scripture's description of God, I just say trash it. Trash it. And take what Scriptures say. You know, this is the reason why we talk so much about grace at Life Journey. Anybody notice that we talk a lot about grace? The reason is God's full of it. And he saves sinners to show us who he is, full of grace, full of kindness. In our verses that we've been looking at, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so anyone may boast. He's saying this is all grace. It's all grace. And we're going to wrap up with this awesome verse, verse 10. It is so cool. I wish I had more time, but we don't. Look at verse 10. For we, who's we? Those who are born again, Israel, the ones who were dry bones, but now they're alive, a great army filled with the very breath of the Spirit of God, Christ himself, for we are his workmanship. Now let's think of that word workmanship for a second. If you were to build a house, if you were to remodel the kitchen, I mean, if you were just to maybe get your oil changed, you would want to know who it is that's working on your house, changing your oil, right? You don't want any Yahoo to come over and just do it. You want to see their workmanship. You want to go to one of their houses that they've built and inspect it. You want to make sure that whoever's going to come is skilled at doing what he does. That's workmanship, okay? We've got some contractors here in the house. Workmanship. We want to know what your skill, what your skill level is before I hire you to do some work in my house. We understand this, right? I want you to consider for a second the very workmanship of God. In other words, how skilled is God at doing what he does? How skilled is God at creating a new life? How skilled is God? Consider his workmanship. You know, the workmanship of the God of the universe. The workmanship of the one who spoke everything that exists in six literal days. Consider his workmanship. Let's get some participation. What characteristics do you see when you see the workmanship of God? Show, throw something out. Beauty. Grandeur. Perfect. What else? Think flawless. Love. What do you see when you inspect the workmanship of God? Complete. Holy. Is God going to make something that's defiled? Sanctified? Is he going to make anything that's common? No way, Jose. Blameless, upright, eternal. He's going to make something that's of his very nature. And what does Paul say? We are his workmanship. 
Man, can that sink in? We are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Can the, can the one who creates things perfectly create something for something other than good works? I mean, the most natural thing for us to do is to actually walk around in this world living as who we truly are, the very workmanship of God. And here's what's so cool, which God prepared. That's what I mean by God rigged this whole thing. God prepared these works. God prepared this whole thing. God prepared in advance that we, we just walk in them. We walk in the very life that he's given us. He has made us perfect. He has made us holy. He has made us sanctified. He has made us pure. This is who we now are. Beforehand, he's done all of this at your new birth. That guess what? We get to wake up tomorrow morning and walk in it. I don't know about you, but that's freeing. We're going to see next week that the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. I don't want to get ahead of myself because our time's already running out, but the idea that God has created us as new creations, created us for good because we are good, that we just wake up and we walk in them. We walk in them. So let's ask the question that we've been asking all week or all month. Does conduct count? Does it matter how we live? And I'm just here to say, listen, he created you good. He created you holy. So doesn't it make sense for us to live as who we are? I mean, I know that sounds so simple, but that's, that's the core of life now in the new covenant. Our journey marker this morning is God's rigged it all. <laughs> I love it. He's rigged it all. He's created us new with Christ, capable of now walking with Christ. He created us new so that we can now walk with Christ. It's the most natural thing for us to do as born-again believers to walk in the way that he's made us. Here's a very important question I think you and I have to answer as we wrap up. You guys can come on up. It's this. Does our walking in good works sanctify us? Does our walking in good works make us holy? That's what sanctify means. Does our walking in good works make us holy? Because see, 80 some, I think it's 81% of Christianity would say yes. Or do we walk in good works because he's already made us holy? You see the difference? It's a huge difference. So one is called religion. I better do this in order to become something. I better walk this way so that I could become sanctified. But the gospel is totally different. He has sanctified us. He has made us new. We were the valley of dry bones. He has brought life to show off so that we now, as his workmanship created holy in every way, we now walk as we already are. We walk holy because we are holy. There's no conflict not to become something, it's because we are something. And the secret to this, which we'll get into two weeks from now, this is a five-week series. We're not going to answer this all in one week. This comes by dependence upon the Lord. Dependence upon the Lord. Dependence upon the Lord. Let's stand and pray this morning. Father, we thank you for our time.
I thank you for the attention of the saints. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see what you've done. Father, I'm so glad that this question has arisen. Does conduct matter? I mean, if this is all by grace, then why does it matter how we live? I'm so glad that that question has arisen because it means we're proclaiming the truth of the gospel. So, Father, help us to see further, see deeper, see the reality of our new life, that we were a valley of dry bones. We were Jacob. We were dead. But you've made us Israel, a new life, a new creation. We are your workmanship, created for the very things that you've created us as. Created to do good because we are good. Created to walk in things that are righteous because we are righteous. No conflict. It's who we are. A new spirit new with a new heart, a new nature, a new identity. And as we sing this song, help us to see it, Father. Be our vision, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.